Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where each week we climb aboard the Hospitality Express. Hello. <laughs> Danny, how you, how you been? I've been all right, man. A little bit under the weather, but trying to just bring the energy, bring the funk. Yeah. You can't be brought down. Can't be brought yeah, down. You'll power through. No matter what's going on with my throat right now. Yeah, we will survive. You sound good. <laughs> yeah. Good enough, I yeah. think. So Danny, I was uh, I made it over to Scofflaw to check out the new menu a couple of days ago. Excellent. Yeah. How was it? Went with uh, one of the one of the fans of the show, my friend Jordan Shields. Ooh, big foodie. He he loved it. Nice. Um, my favorite dish was the fire chicken, which was reminiscent of like a chicken quesadilla with some Korean flares. They so got some gochujang flavors in there. It was delicious. Thank you. I will pass along the compliment to the chef. Please do. Um, I also had a cocktail that I understand is attributed to my sister called the Shipwrecker. Oh, yes, that is true. Uh, that drink is named for Liz Tierney. Um, from Taste Test. From, from the, <laughs> the Taste, taste test, test segment. Yes, yes. Um, the architect of the Taste Test segment, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, basically, we were on a boat ride uh, originating near Metropolitan. And it was Tim and his wife, me and my wife, Liz and her partner, and the six of us were, you know, just going on our journey on our boat, and someone decided to let Liz uh, steer, which in retrospect was not a great decision. She can steer a taste test. I wouldn't say she could, I wouldn't trust her to steer a boat again. Yeah, her boat Unless steering. we're trying to crash. <laughs> yeah, her boat, yeah if, if the aim is to crash, she's <laughs> the best bet you got. Um, but yeah, the, the ensuing drama from when she almost... Uh, shipwrecked us with brian was just incredible hence the drinks namesake yep and liz you know before well also to give even more context liz always ribs me that i've i've never made her a drink in person so we were coming up with a new cocktail menu and i thought like what better way to address this than to have a drink named for liz on the menu that you still months. haven't prepared in person for yeah her, that right? i refuse to make in person for her <laughs> Uh, called the Shipwrecker, which uses some of her favorite ingredients like gin and passion fruit. Um, it's refreshing. Also a little Capaletti in there. Yep, a little Capaletti, baby. Yeah. Liz is, every time I'm at her house, if you want a spritz, you're getting a Capaletti spritz. That's her signature. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking yeah. of uh, designing cocktails, we had a master designer of cocktails on the pod this week with Robbie Haynes, who has moved into designing actual liqueurs yeah with very like some obscure flavors but things that can you know let bartenders apply their own creativity and kind of make these ingredients shine in, in interesting ways yeah so without further ado here's our conversation with robbie haynes the third So wait, you don't live here full time anymore? No, nope, Raleigh, North Carolina. Wow. So how often are you here? Um, right now it feels like a lot. So in the, for the last like three or four months, once a month okay. for a few days. And then where do you stay when you're here? My old house. Oh, okay. I got it. And in the guest bedroom uh, and now my lovely in-laws. Okay. So live they there. live there. They took over our old place. Okay. So they wanted to stay here. They didn't want to go to Raleigh. For some reason they wanted to stay at Pulaski and Armitage uh, wow. for now. Are your in-laws from uh, Chicago? Yeah, they're from uh, just outside the city. So they had moved in to be a little closer to us. 
And then you pranked him. And he said, peace. (laughs) And then we left. Is that where, uh, that's where Cubanito is, right? That delicious Cuban sandwich is. Cubanito is up the street. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's one of the best sandwiches that there is. I don't know Cubanito. I mean, it's delicious. But I know that intersection. I was telling Robbie yesterday, we have an embroiderer there. And you'd never know it because it's it's like a garage. (laughs) How talented. Yeah. He's our our go-to guy. He's like, we need a quick turnaround. What makes this embroiderer like special? That'll do stuff in a day. He's he <laughs> like, he the master of rush jobs. Quality low, but the turnaround time very good. Quality's decent. He doesn't have the full range of colors, which is problematic. So if you have like a very specific Pantone you're trying to match, you can't go can't go to him. Huh. But he's got the is that he's got the Roy G. Biv. That's interesting. Classic. Is that always about like the thread that people have on hand, or people dye stuff to match the Pantone? Um, threads come in a million different colors. Got it. So some just have a deep inventory. Yeah, but it's like if you... And he also is like our small batch guy. So if we have somebody who needs like 10 aprons embroidered, it doesn't make sense to buy a bunch of thread. Yeah, what's like the Aquavit of uh, threads? (laughs) The Aquavit? Like Like the one that just no one ever does. Oh, the color of colors? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, there's a million of them. Yeah. There's a lot of Aquavit (laughs) in the thread world. (laughs) Classic. Um... Not to derail us, but I do. I I really want a pair of those Danny Shapiro pants, and I've not forgotten about that. <laughs> we were discussing Danny Shapiro stock, the uh, limited edition. Yeah, yeah it was side just splitting me and Robbie pants. and Austin, right? Um, in that first series. Yeah, I think so. You you did the shirt. Robbie had a shirt. Danny had pants that were I poor, have the Robbie executed. shirt. It's like a denim colored shirt with like a yeah, yeah polka dot. It was like chambray with polka dot, pink yeah. and green polka dot. Um, Accents or uh, and yeah. what was Austin's and a Austin piece? Did, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the uh, pretty close actually. with suspenders. Okay, I don't like know if I had leather Austin's. suspenders. Yeah, I was telling Danny maybe a month ago. I'm like, you know, we're really set up to do, to execute that project. Yeah, now it so, is. So for the listeners, we did very early on, and when stock was not even in the uniform game, maybe we had only done like one restaurant uniform. We did. A bartender series collaboration where we had uh, Danny, Robbie, and Austin Skiles uh, design a menswear piece, and then it was back when we were still doing like crowdsourcing, like Kickstarter style pre-sale stuff. And um, we had a little party at Scofflaw, which is the first time Shannon met Liz and Brian. My, Whoa, my family. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and hmm. uh, and I think that was probably the best thing to come out of that collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but it was cool. Well, Your shirt was cool. Danny's pants were problematic. Uh, yeah. Not his fault. Our fault. Poor, poorly executed. The, the best is I remember Tim asked me to draw what I... <laughs> draw what the I pants? Thought. Yeah. And I literally just... I'm an awful drawer. <laughs> and so I draw them and Tim's just like... He was just like... You could tell he was like, this is the worst drawing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> it was just like me taking on a post-it note just like what you'd imagine a pair, any pair of pants to look like. And Tim's like... Uh, can you give me a little bit more? They won't recall the drawing, but I'd lo- I oh, wish we could pull it up. incredible. They were red? Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, they were blue like with like red. Yeah, they are navy yeah. and maroon. Um, it was when uh, our sourcing was very limited, as was our manufacturing. Yeah, they went to the maroon thread guy, yeah. the navy thread guy at Armitage and Pulaski. <laughs> Danny designed the Aquavita pants. Speaking of uniforms, I mean, does Violet Hour still require that kind of uniform? Don't know. What was the uniform? I don't think so. We do their aprons. Well, it used to and be like ar- full arm garters, everything, right? When when Violet Hour Suspenders opened, yeah, there were shit. arm garters, 
vest was highly recommended. Yeah. Whose and, idea was and this? A tie. I don't know. It just came down from up top and, you know, I listened. So everyone <laughs> lost the arm guarders within a week. Yeah. I mean, it's not a lot of people. I mean, it's, it's died down a little bit. But when like heritage menswear was a big thing, every bartender or every owner or operator wanted their bartenders to look like it was like prohibition era. A lot of like leather apron stuff. I think, it, I mean, honestly, uh, I, I think I can defend it pretty easily with the violet hour in terms of like, they were starting a movement that didn't exist and they were, they were kind of demanding that you take what they were doing seriously and kind of the movement itself. Because if you, at that time, that stuff was just so outside of the norm for a cocktail experience in Chicago. So it kind of made sense to like dress it up. Yeah. I almost didn't take the job because, um, at that age I was a bit of an idealist and I had maybe halfway read Walden Pond probably while at my other job as a valet, um, very noble profession. Yep. Yep. And there was some sort of comment in there that said like, don't, take a new job if you have to buy like new clothes. <laughs> and I remember being like, they're like, you got to get a tie. I was like, I don't know if I should take this job. Yeah. Like they're asking conflict. me to get a tie. <laughs> is that Thoreau? Yeah. Walden, yeah. Thoreau says no. Yeah. Thoreau is not into it. I never finished the book. Yeah. <laughs> I bought the tie and I took the, the job. Yeah, I think he the takes second, it back. The second, the, part of the, book. <laughs> yeah, the second part of the book is like, you should definitely buy it. Like, yeah. 100%. There was a uh, Walden 2, the sequel, but it wasn't <laughs> written by uh, Thoreau. It was uh, B.F. Skinner, the behaviorist, wasn't it? I don't know. I think I read that in high school. You put that on or the I was I was assigned to read it. Yeah. I don't know if I Who read any say? of my assignments. Um, but yeah, I mean, you were at the Violet Hour almost like from the beginning. So you started in 2008. They opened in 2007, right? The day one. Oh, what? Yeah. Your thing in that book, it cheats you. You know, the dates get all well, but fuzzy is it looking Maybe back. because you were bartending starting in 08? That sounds about right. I started out as a bar back. Yeah. It was the first real bar I ever worked in. Yeah. It was cool. fun. So I, I was I listened to a little bit of an older interview with you, and you went like valet, and then eventually went into a restaurant. You said that that restaurant was like the owners were opening Violet Hour. What was that restaurant? And uh, was that one off? Um, no. So yeah, I was a valet on Chicago Avenue at Green Zebra. Yeah, and then, vegetarian. Yeah, and is I that Sean McLean? Uh huh. Yeah. And I think the valet company was trying to like double dip, so they would have me park cars for them and for the club up the street, Sonotech, with no parking lot. You know, you're just running around in the oh, freezing God. cold trying to remember where you parked you know, oh, somebody's car. Oh, my God. That is insane. So would you have to like pull into paid parking spots and pay the meter? Well, there were no – it wasn't paid at the you time. You would just park – Oh, Wicker was just a free-for-all? You would just park wherever you could find a spot. Or Chicago Avenue, I guess it would be It was before the city Town? sold the parking the rights to the – It was before Swiss, the city sold the rights. Right? Then the Swiss owner parking? No. What? I thought they like – No, it's the middle – it's like the – I mean, I'm pretty sure it's a Middle Eastern contingent that oh. owns our parking rights. Oh. And great, it was to raise great. money to for the Olympic bid. Yeah. It was and like a hundred year get. lease for, I think, a billion dollars. I think that was like the downfall of Daily, wasn't it? It was a tough, uh, tough deal <laughs> that didn't really uh, make any sense in retrospect <laughs> since we did not get the Olympic bid. Yeah. No, not yet. <laughs> One day. <laughs> that's, a, that's a slow <laughs> Wait, so you started at Violet Hour day one. Yeah. What, what Did you have to be kind of indoctrinated? Were you as confused as the general public about what was going on? No, because I knew nothing. So I was like, I was starting from scratch. Yeah. You know, I'd had a, um, I had really enjoyed drinking 
up until that point yep. at bars, um, but never cocktails. And uh, I enjoyed it. It was like sexy. It was different. It was definitely better than, you know, standing outside reading Thoreau, waiting for someone to tip <laughs> you two bucks. Reading some of Thoreau. Yeah. That's why he stopped Walden. He got a new job. <laughs> yeah. But when like Toby was talking about like what it was going to be and what, what everyone was kind of endeavoring to accomplish, were you like, I guess. Like, uh, did, did I was, you believe it, or were you like, "We'll see what happens"? I, I was on. I was on board. I was like, "This dude's crazy," but I will. I will ride for him because he's clearly very like passionate, and he, uh, the way he like talked about cocktails, I thought was like really interesting as like a a something that can tell a story or create a narrative or give a sense of time and place, and so I connected with that part on a creative level and also it was like he was like fun wild he would hang talk shoot the shit with you and yeah do yeah. you remember the first drink that you had that kind of like opened your eyes yeah so i had worked for a couple maybe a month before i ever got a cocktail and i remember seeing so i would just like make ice in the back all night long hand yep. is like freezing um and I remember at the end of a shift somebody Actually, remember Mike Rubel was like, hey, do you want a drink? And I was like, dude, I've been, yes. I've been watching these things go out across the room every night. So there was no shift drink or you just had a shift drink somewhere else? We would get like the barbacks. We would be working until 3.30 in the morning yeah. cleaning up. So we would get like a shot and a beer or something out of the cooler. Yeah. Um, but he made me a whiskey smash and I was very thirsty it was very late, um, but I swear to God, it was the most delicious thing that I have et- had ever had at that point, and probably like relatively compared to like past experiences, I've never had anything that was that much better since then than anything I've had before. Yeah, do you remember like what all he did? <clears throat> uh, I remember there was probably some really loud Cuban music playing, <laughs> and he fucking did the song and dance shook it up you know like probably at that point it was probably like jim beam rye or something in the yeah. early days mint leaf like he he did it you know he hooked us up he like yeah he made the, it real yeah he gave us the whole thing and no shortcuts no and i took the first sip and i was like holy shit this is amazing and wow that, and that was it that's really and he was cool. hooked and i was hooked i'm <laughs> shocked that it took a month for them to give you a cocktail they were working on their, you know, everyone yeah. else was, they were, everyone was dealing with something. But so, like in the early training were only the bartenders at all those cocktail trainings? Yeah. Yep. Got I think it. they were doing like first wave, they were doing really intensive bartender training. Yeah. Because nowadays the whole team is tasting all the new drinks for the new menus, right? Yep. And the, I think at early stages, the barbacks were just trying to, you know, no one really had any experience wow. doing anything. So we were just trying to figure out how not to you know stab each other in the kitchen when you're coming around a corner um or like get down to one end of the bar without getting smashed into the cooler by somebody shaking a cocktail yeah do you remember any of those like kind of epic mishaps from the early days i mean it was every every day felt like uh you know on the bar back inside just felt like going into battle yeah um yeah, I, honestly, I I have a, a lot of stories like from later on, but the early days, like I just remember like working really hard. I remember like 
you know, drinking a lot of chartreuse at the end of the night and like crawling up the stairs mm-hmm. to like the two flat on like a, you know, hands and knees on a somewhat regular basis, <laughs> like, you know, getting home at three and really like just zonked. Yeah. And just being like, I just got to get upstairs. Yeah. I remember those nights. Uh, was the best. <laughs> yeah. I always drink responsibly. I've never had a night like that, but I could imagine. It sounded yeah. pretty wild. And then how long were you bar backing before you got the, the bump? I think like a year. Okay. Yeah. Maybe a year or so. Um, and then. Was Andrew in that crew with you? Andrew Mackey? Yeah. Yeah. I think we started bar backing together That's and we probably started bartending at the same time. That's kind of what I remembered. Yeah. And we had a great time. Like once, once we were up and running as bartenders, like I felt like we were really given a lot of like autonomy. Yeah. Just to like be yourself, run the show behind the bar, like how you saw fit. And then it was very encouraged to like play around and make cocktails. And, you know, every night someone would be working on two, three, four drinks, tasting, talking, tasting, talking. So it was a lot of fun. But there's also like a lot of like kind of creativity and a lot of people like pushing each other and trying to think about cocktails in new ways. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Do you remember your first drink that made the menu? I do. Um, the first drink was a. Uh, it was the Akavit of cocktails on the menu. <laughs> for sure. It was. Uh, it was called the Libertine, and it was a. Um, some sort of like absinthe, sparkling, maybe cassis float cocktail. Oh a little bit of lemon juice, blackberry, uh, and. And it was an absinthe base? It was like a half ounce, half ounce of absinthe. And then sparkling. Yeah. It was like a riff on like a death in the death afternoon. Dinner. Yeah. Hemingway. And I th- think I had, had submitted it as, because um, like when you poured the cassis on the blackberry, it would like kind of like ooze. And yeah. I, and so I was like, let's call this thing Creeping Death. And they were like, no. <laughs> Come up with another name. Libertine. Yeah. Oh, my God. From Creeping Death to Libertine. <laughs> that is quite the 180. What is, uh, I feel you're both qualified to debunk the absinthe. What, what is happening with absinthe? Was there, a, was there an inflection point where Americans were not getting real absinthe yeah, or without so the wormwood extract. What they didn't happened have there? Thujone, right? It was Thujone or something yep. like that. There was a, a chemical compound that comes from wormwood uh, that was banned until I think like 2007, actually, kind of around the time the Violet Hour opened. And then after 2007, we could get the same absinthe that, you know, people. Did anyone know this? Toulouse Lautrec wrote about or whoever. Yeah, people were into it. I feel like for the first year or two, a lot of folks would come around and want to do that. I, I remember trip. that too. Yeah. I had an absinthe summer where, Ooh. or probably around that time. And I call it the absinthe summer because that's like all I drank. And that's all you can remember. I don't remember much. <laughs> but in my mind, because I'm like, oh, these, uh, you know, Paris in the 20s and people were. You know, getting all goofed up and delirious on this beverage. And so I, I was like doing the whole thing. I had like the ice cube, I had the whole setup and I'm you know, trickling the ice water over it and it's clouding. And I, I realized, I'm like, man, I'm thinking like more clearly. I'm like not, it's a different kind of drunk. I'm like, I'm, I'm creative. I'm like inspired. And I just really, it was all in my head. Yeah. I was just getting really drunk because it was very strong and I was drinking a lot of it. Yeah. So that's, that's impressive. You were able to drink that much of it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah, for a whole summer. 
<laughs> That's so good. Yeah, I was not. I was not making cocktails. I was just going for it. Just crushing it. Were you just? How are you drinking it? I mean, you referenced drinking it with like. I was just doing the, water, the that dilution. Thing. Yeah, lemon. Yeah, I had the fancy spoon. Oh my god! Pop, pop so I can just picture a younger Tim doing that, <laughs> yeah, like, all alone setup in on the twenty eighth floor fountain, like <laughs> pouring it on the drip over the sugar cube. Oh I, I probably never, had a wool vest on. I could never figure <laughs> out if like, the the absinthe drip order was like the biggest pain Damn, in the ass, no. or if it was like nice because like you didn't have to shake the drink. And I don't think it was, it's right down the middle. Yeah. Well, you it's just have like, like the fountain. The you got it. Yeah. Probably you got a bar like, back. It sucked up to clean that thing. You got to find it. Yeah. Find you it. You got to clean, clean it, it. Prep it. Put a bunch of ice in it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I ordered it at a so bar one time good. and then the bartender's like, oh, yeah. yeah. You get probably get right. That's like the Ramos gin fizz of straight spirit orders. Explain that reference. Uh, Ramos is a very annoying cocktail that requires a lot of shaking or at least it used to be the common uh, conception was, or, you know, the, the idea was you'd have to shake it for a significant amount of time. That's how the drink kind of became popular. Um, it has gin, citrus, cream, egg white, orange flower water. Um, and it was all about like how high you could get kind of the foam over the, mm, the lip of the yeah. Collins glass. A lot of theories around yeah. like what to do and how to do it. Exactly. But someone meniscus. kind of like figured out that you don't, it's not about like there's more it's more about the order that you do things than it is the time you spend shaking it to get like that sick foam i wish i'd have found that out cocktail exactly but people love like just ordering them seeing what happens um so you want to see that at any of your bars yeah yeah just ordering that off menu uh speaking of a drink with cream in it one of my favorite robbie drinks of all time that is so obscure probably two crows from tacos (laughs) dude (laughs) what's it called that's probably the best drink i've ever made robbie knew it right away which is so good i think he also knows how much i love this drink two crows from tacos (laughs) (laughs) there's another robbie naming that they were like that one can you rename it yeah robbie's like nope he had enough juice at that time that they couldn't challenge the names he came up with i think two crows from tacos was an old looney tunes skit or like early cartoon and i i'm gonna butcher this but i think it's like two kind of crows that are maybe south of the border that are like just sitting on a branch or something and they're just chopping it up and it's called two crows from tacos which is funny because i think i talked to robbie about the name a long time ago and and the i had in my mind i just thought it was a reference to big star being right down the street from violet hour uh-huh. yeah and so i was That's like sick. two crows like in terms of somehow a crow being a distance marker like two crows from tacos so violet hours right across the street so huh. it's like two crows from the tacos from Big Star. Wow. Uh, and so that's kind of, of what I thought. Layers. That's yeah. what I thought it meant. Good, good, good name will do that. <laughs> yeah. Stock was actually formed at Violet Hour. Little known story. We, oh. Uh, you I was, was working on, on Absinthe. <laughs> <laughs> completely blacked out on Absinthe. I crawled it into the Violet Hour. Um, no, I, I was working on the concept with Isle for the idea of like a direct-to-consumer menswear line where like factory direct. And um, Jim and Jason had been working on this other startup, and they were looking to help uh, independent designers get manufacturing resources. So they reached out to Isle, and he's like, hey, we're working on this concept for a menswear line. We should all meet. And we went to Violet Hour and had a lot of cocktails and kind of blacked out and went across the street and had tacos. And then the next day, the stock was formed. 
It's cool. What, so, yeah, do you want to tell everyone what Two Crows from Tacos is? Um, the drink. Itself. Yeah, let me see if I can run that back. It's definitely a cream cocktail. It definitely had a mint garnish. There was some sort of bitters, maybe probably mole or chocolate bitters. Yeah, and I think, mint. and you made a mint. I uh, made a mint syrup. Exactly. Yeah, I made a creme de menthe. Yeah, that's right. And tequila, probably tequila at that point. Yeah, it was tequila. Yeah, it was on paper. It looked crazy, but it was actually so delicious. Good. Yeah, it sounds great. I put it up there like with the Shrine Builder in terms of favorite drinks, which is a Whistler drink. Um, What's in the Shrine? That's a Scotch cocktail. No, the Shrine Builder is like it uses their Verdita. And it has like the mint crown. I guess I just You're like a mint, a, mint, guy. a mint crown, baby. <laughs> no, but they're just like involved drinks that people are not like, they're not always on a menu. They're not always, you know, uh, able to make these drinks. But they're kind of involved. Totally different flavor profiles other than the mint, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I love a lot of cocktails, but those two kind of come to mind. I had some crazy things happen making creme de menthe. Again, you know, smooth brain at that point. Not really like just throwing stuff together and seeing what works. And sometimes like this mint syrup would come out like beautiful. And I'd be like, oh my God, like this is amazing. Like show this to everyone. And then like sometimes I would make it and it would just, the whole thing would crystallize. And I never really like figured out, huh. you know, it was like hmm. one in one in four. Yeah. I, like, right. I remember, yeah, we put it on a like a special menu at Scofflaw at some point. And, uh, and Robbie was kind enough to share the recipe and, and the, yeah, like... I mean, yeah, you, you, you talk about the creme de menthe. There's like an instruction that says like a skinny three-quarter creme de menthe, and you'd say, I'd start there. Every batch has been a bit different, <laughs> which is so true. Did you get the crystallization too? No, I think like, – I don't. Robbie honestly might have made some for me. Like he might have made a few bottles and been like, here, you can just – He's like, no one else is Yeah, Robbie's this. like, I, Danny can't handle Sitting on this. this. Yeah. What's that process like? Uh, the creme de menthe, I believe uh, – Probably did it a little differently every time, and that's probably why it was a little differently every time. I used to be really bad about writing recipes down, even a when true it, creative product development, and it would, you know, at times it has driven people crazy, <laughs> and I've slowly gotten better. But I would use probably use something to extract the flavor from the mint. I probably tried it cooking it in water. Probably tried it with alcohol, um, and then I would make like a mint extract, and then probably add a little more water and sugar to it. Okay. So like, pretty straightforward. Yeah, flavored simple syrup. Yeah, exactly. It was so good. Yeah. Joiner's podcast is brought to you by Party Can. Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural gluten-free it's 12 drinks in a single can and guess what that can actually floats you can take it to the beach the pool on the boat camping hiking to the game everywhere you go it is recyclable and reusable it's a party in a can and everyone's invited party can is available at multiple retailers around chicago around the country and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend and now back to our interview so you're a part of this big cocktail renaissance in Chicago, and then you're there for a significant chunk of time. Um, and you said the later years, you have a lot of wacky stories. Yeah. I, I just started, at some point I started like managing 
And I think when I started managing, then I started, you know, being a little more focused on like what was going on yeah, yeah. around less me. Less busy. Yeah. You're not dealing with what's right in front of you. You're dealing with the whole. Yeah. And, you know, there was just a lot of stuff, interpersonal stuff on staff, things that happen when you take, you know, a, a dozen plus 20 something year olds and dress them up and put them on a stage and then, you know, give them a bunch of nice booze. Yeah. And arm garters. Uh, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, people, you know, it kind of brings out like the showman in people mm. and also can bring out like maybe some like attitudes or I don't know. I, I really, I thought that the interpersonal stuff I found fascinating and yeah. I, I really kind of like loved navigating that. And I, I learned <laughs> that you got to deal with everyone's a little different. Everyone has their own like love language, whether it's like a employee or, you know, I guess I always saw them as coworkers, never really employees at that point. Um, or guest. You and were the Jerry Springer. Yeah, leader. everyone's a little different. Yeah. It's the ringleader. Well, Toby made reference to some times that the staff could have gotten, the whole staff could have been fired. Do you have any stories? Uh, we're past the statute of limitations. Yeah. This yeah. Stuff, I guess. Yeah. Um, what is he referring to? I, I do remember early on, and thankfully I was not working that night, but I feel like a bunch of people like smoked weed in the alley one night. <laughs> and uh, pretty like innocuous, like, yeah. Especially know, now, it's not like yeah. It was probably like after the shift or something, and somehow word got around and everyone got their ass handed to them. Oh, got like just got reprimanded. Yeah, now it's probably pretty commonplace. <laughs> Actually, that's yeah. a good question. Like, if somebody comes to work high now, I mean, it's the can same. You do anything? I assume everyone is high all the time. <laughs> I kind of do too. <laughs> I remember there was a This American Life about that, and they were talking about like, like half the people you see just going going about their business are on some sort of drug. Something. Yeah, yeah. that's. I mean, that is interesting to think about. Um, at what point did the fancy suit excursions begin? What are those? When you and a small crew of Violet Hour bartenders would go out on the town, fully dressed up in like tuxedos not me dude you definitely did this <laughs> hell no dude. dude you guys like went i forgot what it was and it was like a few of you would go out like on a month like a night that you were all off and you like dressed up i don't know if it was like suits but Robbie you were, like, shaking up. his head no definitely 100%, not percent like ran into you guys in this setting at like bonnie's one time at like it was definitely like a small period of time, I guess, if you don't remember it. Maybe after work. Yeah, like, but oh, maybe it was. Then you guys are just dressed up under for work. no under. I'm telling you, right, under no circumstances. Yeah, I gotta get. To would the I have gone <laughs> on a night? Would I put on a vest and tie on a night? Or you're to just totally off? fucking with me on a night? I caught you in like a nice outfit with every, but everyone was like in a similarly nice outfit. Well, we may have come from work. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna have to reach out to Andrew and all sorts of people. The vest, the, bottom of the vest came off. Yeah, <laughs> it was all in Walk Danny's in the door, head. the vest comes off. I was. It was, it was Danny's was, inferiority it complex. Was in, <laughs> Look at these bastards in their was, suits. Or it was just in my absent summer that I was <laughs> yes, imagining summer. this. <laughs> absent summer needs to be a cocktail. Yeah. Oh my god. That's the perfect name. Um, but yeah, you also you know through the Violet Hour met Eden. I would imagine. I met my wife. Yeah, yep. she. I was a barback. She was a hostess. Classic, mm -hmm. classic, uh, classic story. Um, 
Yeah, that was great. But we how did everything start? Just how everything started there, <laughs> you know, like just one whiskey snatch later, one thirty in the morning or two thirty in the morning, and you know, every Monday or Tuesday or whatever night it is for yeah. a year, and like, yeah. You've locked the door. There's no windows on that place. You know, like <laughs> there was it was a heavy hang for a long time. Yeah. You know, you're open open the door and you know, the sun is coming up and you're like, shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So it was a late night hang for everyone. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so how do you get from Violet Hour to Apolog? Or I guess there's uh there's a whole analog phase. Yep. So what huge, ha- huge analog fan, by the yeah, way. I'll, Thank you. Same. Um, it's the best. RIP. Um, what happened? So we kind of two things happened. One, at Violet Hour, I started playing around, like, making stuff at some point, like, in a, in a more, like, uh, focused manner um, and had worked on some products with Leatherby. Um, so that kind of, like, happened and I had, had, like, one foot in this, like, production maker side of things. And simultaneously had some uh, some friends and regulars of the bar that were, like, we're interested in opening a cocktail bar in Logan Square. And I was like, okay, cool, like, let's talk about it. And, yeah, we opened, left Violet Hour to open Analog with, um, you know, zero idea of what we're doing, except what I was able to like absorb through just watching how the folks ran Violet Hour. Um, Was Hank in management too? Yeah. At some point we were both managers. Okay. Um, And so, yeah, him and I left and we tapped our buddy Fredo to cook. And for a few years, I feel like it was only open for like three years. um, We had this like beautiful little like utopian thing happening on Milwaukee Avenue, uh, which was fun and wild. And uh, I think, you know, when I think about that time, like I feel like the most important thing we did is we gave the staff like total freedom to do what they want, act how they want, dress how they want, be how they want. The was firm believer that this, the, the staff is always right, not the customer. And so like wow. if anybody, you know, there were very few incidences, but if someone said something to the hostess that was off color or someone was acting a certain way to the bartender, they just got the boot. Right. And it was great. Ed DeBevick style. It's <laughs> the second time it's come up on the pod, and I just heard that Lettuce is bringing Ed DeBevick's back. It's back. Oh. Because someone, I mean, uh, the editor of Eater Chicago, he just posted, he was like, took his family to Ed DeBevick's. Oh. Ed DeBevick's, they're like kind of rude to you. Is that the, yeah, yeah, that's kind of the shtick. I remember we took a field trip downtown. They're rude to Tim, mostly. <laughs> I he showed up the art on his breath all the time. And on our way, I think, yeah, after we went to their institute, we went to, we went to Ed DeBevick's before the bus took us back to Woodstock. And uh, I remember the waitress made a girl cry. Oof. And it was it wasn't it was pretty benign. It was like, come on, sweetheart, I don't have all day. One of those things like, what's your order? And she's just like, Ugh. couldn't handle it. <laughs> Yeah, it's on uh, it's on Ohio Street. Should we go after one fifty nine East Ohio? Should we go now? I think, well, I think you have to go home for some reason. Oh yeah, <laughs> I have a sick dog at home. <laughs> Not a um, euphemism. My dog is literally ill. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I mean, so you start kind of when you were at Analog, did you have those recipes kind of hammered down? Were you continuing to develop them there? I think uh, no. So launched Leatherby Besk, and for a while that was kind of it. R. Franklin. R. Franklin, yep. Um, Besk is Leatherby's answer to Malort. Is Leatherby's bitter wormwood liqueur. (laughs) How's that? Right, right. (laughs) That was so good. I remember those debates as to like what could be called Malort and all that stuff, the lawsuits. Uh, Was it called Malort at one time? It it originally was, and then there was a trademark dispute, and you know, don't didn't want to fight it, and so we just said, "Cool." Was that before the Malort resurgence? It was. I mean, I watched the documentary on that. Like, uh, there was like one diehard fan. It was like owned by the lawyer, I guess, and he had a bunch of different spirits. I know you guys know the story, but maybe for the listeners, like, there's it was a guy who had a bunch of different spirits that he was producing, and then he like became a lawyer and. Malort was the one product he kept making because he liked the challenge of selling something that tasted so aggressive. <laughs> aggressive, yeah. And then I guess when he died, his secretary got it in his will. And then yep. um, it was just kind of a small underground thing. And then uh, some fans caught on and kind of started marketing it. Yeah, it was contract distilled for a long time. Uh, the secretary was based in Florida, mm-hmm. it was a Chicago product. You know, I don't know if you know the full story, but uh, Malort just refers to a style of Swedish uh, liqueur, I guess. So it was like a category, um, which is why other people felt like they could use the name. And then, unfortunately, because Malort had been so established as the only Malort on the market, they were able to to get that trademark, hmm. uh, or at least get other people to not use it should have hired you yeah that's right should have hired you for this <laughs> no but it's just like people think Fernet is Fernet Branca but Fernet's like a whole category yeah. of Amari um but we just Fernet's the most popular so that's kind of what we think of yeah when we just like it. how Kleenex is my favorite tissue that's right yep. exactly uh so yeah towards the end of analog's life yeah um, actually, I think I, I feel like Apple started after analog. I feel like I left analog, um, and was living, it was a weird time. We we're living in Airbnbs. We had sold our place. And so we were just kind of like bouncing around. We weren't yep. really sure what we were going to do. And then Eden had done a presentation for some one that was developing, some sort of beverage product um, just on like flavor affinities and someone in that meeting um, had been wanting to start something in the liqueur space and so he, he my now partner Jordan Tepper had reached out to her and said hey do you know anyone that has experience with liqueurs she's like I know one guy actually I got yeah she's like there's one person and he's sitting right next to me it's <laughs> um, very cool and then then we just started workshopping stuff. I think we probably spent six months kind of developing recipes and packaging and branding and all that stuff. So how did you settle on, like, what was the first one? Was it persimmon, aronia berry, celery root were the first three? We did, developed four to start. Was I, saffron in the first four? No. Pawpaw? So, nope. Damn. So, wow. 
original originally yeah, those are the five now but yeah so the first four were persimmon aronia berry um those were like the first two and then Got it. i had like a wildflower something you know i was like looking for like flowers from the midwest and the idea was originally we were going to focus on unique regional ingredients from you know the states that were maybe underappreciated or harder to work with either because they're like hard to process or short growing seasons and uh Somewhere like halfway through the R&D phase, I had picked up some shifts at the Charleston, great neighborhood corner bar, and uh, a young woman had come in on a Friday afternoon and asked for a cocktail that was um, refreshing but herbaceous and savory, which is, for all intents and purposes, a pretty cool cocktail order, not at four in the afternoon yeah, um, and on a Bucktown corner bar, but that just kind of got the gears turning that maybe there was an opportunity to do something savory. Um, and that's how like the celery root came to be. Got it. Uh, but yeah, at Apple, Apple was fun. Like we worked with, um, able to work with local farmers for all of those primary ingredients, like the persimmon are coming from Indiana. The aronia berries have come from various farms in Illinois. Um, celery root, we were growing it, um, at growing solutions farm. That's, a uh, a vocational farm for young adults with autism in the Tri-Taylor neighborhood. That's cool. Uh-huh. And then, uh, yeah, and so we were kind of jamming on that for a few years, launched that. And then Saffron, which is clearly not from the Midwest, um, we connected with another B corporation called Rumi Spice, who was a Saffron importer through, like, the B Corp network, which is something we're a part of. And they just had awesome Saffron. And we were like, this is another kind of unique tool yeah. that we can develop for Did you make, did you experiment with different saffron types? Are there different types of saffron? My understanding of saffron is that there's um, real saffron and there's fake saffron. Hmm. And that like, you know, you can buy, like you might buy some bootleg saffron. Yeah, how can you tell time. the di- that's got to be by far that's the wild. hardest thing to harvest, just because of the yield. You get like so few you little threads. threads you get like three, flower. like maybe three per flower or something yeah. like that. Um, the test that they showed me is you put them in hot water and you see how long it takes for the color to come out. If it like leaches out immediately, could it be dyed. It could be like sprayed or fake. Hmm. And then there's also a way that the 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 thread will actually unfold. And if it unfolds, I might be messing this up, but if it unfolds like a book, it might be safflower, like not actual saffron. Jeez. So, and then control. when did the pawpaw come into the mix? Pawpaw was our first seasonal, and we must have done that in 2018. And, you know, um, we tasted it at, I think, Green City Market. Iliana Orchards, I, I think, is the grower that was had some. And it was cool. It was the uh, taste like a cross between a mango and a banana, and it grows in folks' backyard, backyards. That's uh, cool. Yeah, cool fruit. They, they call it the hillbilly mango <laughs> or the Indiana banana. Indiana <laughs> banana. I like that one. This podcast is brought to you by Geneva. Danny, what is Geneva? Well, Tim, I'm glad you asked. Geneva is a European spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality. 
It always uses malt, spirit, and juniper, and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin, or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. So was the idea always to do obscure flavors? And is that a challenge? Like, how do you sell that then to bartenders? Yeah, so the I think the idea is to give folks, you know, to inspire creativity and give folks just another brush to paint with. And we wanted to pick ingredients that there weren't current versions of on the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then present them in a way that felt familiar. So it's not like someone tastes it and it's like, what am I going to do with this? You know, you can taste the persimmon, recognize that it's an apertivo, and then two minutes later you're making an autumnal Negroni like or a persimmon Negroni. Same thing with the Aronia. Like I think, you know, the fruit is interesting enough to like read well on a menu and like maybe spark some conversation between the guest and the bartender. Um, and people are like familiar with and have heard it before, but might not be like intimately familiar. So that's taking the place of the vermouth then in the Negroni? It would be in, instead of like the Campari. Campari. Oh, instead of the Campari. Yep. Okay, so you got your... Okay. Yeah. We did. So like I have a, a bottle of persimmon at home, and I'm always like, what am I... Persimmon Negroni. Do with it? Yeah. Persimmon I'm spritz. I'm going to do it. Yeah. We did uh, an Aronia Berry Gimlet, I think, at Moonlighter when we opened, maybe. Yep. Um yeah, they're, they're really cool products. Thank you. People in the community dig them. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, and you've also like gotten into RTD stuff. Yep. So uh, Apolog, jamming, kind of growing. That was our primary focus day to day up until March 2020. Um, that Apolog business is like 85% bars and restaurants. And so that got really quiet overnight and we had a, a, maybe a month or two to, you know, kind of think about what our next step would be. And we were really interested in the ready to drink space, but also acknowledge that it's incredibly competitive and you've got, you know, massive brands that are funneling, you know, a lot of creativity, time, energy, capital into that space. Um, and so we were like, what can we do that, you know, would be meaningful here in Chicago. And so we partnered with um, One-Off Hospitality and Big Star to release their canned margarita, Paloma and spicy margarita in, uh, in 2020. And that was a uh, game changer for us. Um, one, it got us through that year um, until like Apolog sales came back. And we were just like, you know, people are starting to drink in smaller, more intimate settings, have like little parties at home and stuff, people's backyards and like, okay, cool. Like I think maybe the way that people are drinking is shifting a little bit. And, uh, you know, the, the margaritas are maybe not necessarily like the most appropriate, like winter. It's not like the, the thing that people reach for in the cold weather months. And so we saw it as like a really like strong seasonal business. And then we started to think about like, what can we do to complement this in, the fall, like gifting season holidays. And that's how we started to develop Sunday's finest, like the gold fashion and stuff. And for that product, we went to the other end of the spectrum. Um, and we wanted to play in like the luxury space and go basically like as 
far up as you can um, as far as like quality and Yeah, can you packaging. tell our listeners what goes into the gold fashioned? It's an impressive list of ingredients. Yep. So kind of our North Star was like spare no expense, source the best of the best. Um, and we launched last year. We did a limited run, like um, a few thousand bottles. And we started with eight-year bourbon, five-year rye, and we made these wild bitters with like, quote unquote, the world's most exquisite spices from the country of origin. So saffron from Afghanistan, the same saffron that we use in um, Apolog Saffron Liqueur. But then Seville orange peel from Seville, Spain, French gentian from the French Alps, single estate Ecuadorian cacao, um, Tahitian vanilla beans. Um, they're, the bitters on, them, they're on their own are like really special. And we work with Rod at Rare Tea Cellars to help source that stuff. And then there's a little Demerara from Malawi. And uh, it's ready to enjoy. You just pour over ice. And so last year, it was more of like, let's see if this works if this has legs and it went really well um we sold out got some great press and this year we kind of doubled down uh and added a 15-year bourbon to the spirit space we let our eight-year and five-year bourbons that we were able to save some barrels and let those age up to nine and six and then um kind of re-engineered the recipe to showcase what was really special about those whiskeys and you both uh, tasted them last night, right? Yes. And I had had it prior because there was a photo shoot at my house for Gold Fashion. Oh, nice. With our friend of the show, Wade Did Matthew, you try shot there. And I, I got it in an early bottle. And, I, and it was the old packaging. And I was like, I had, I had a lot of feedback on that packaging. And then Wade shot again at my house. And I saw the new packaging and everything that I was going to bring up had been addressed. Always learning. Yeah. Um, so you tried both of them. Um... No, I think I was just trying the new ones. Uh, or, or would the packaging be an indicator? The If you had had the one from the photo shoot was probably the old ones because we had not. First one, yeah, like top loaded. And the new one you open like a book. Yep. And it has the drawer. Yep. So I didn't, I made that cocktail like three weeks ago. So the one you had last night would have been the new one, but the one that you had at your house would have been the old, old version. We just put it in the new packaging for the photo. Okay. Um, duped but (laughs) yeah we talked to we interviewed you know dozens of people that purchased last time for like we wanted the most straightforward critical feedback that we could get and a lot of the stuff was on the packaging like okay like certain things we could improve upon and we worked with a a cardboard engineer from New Zealand (laughs) um, a really talented guy named Matt Bogust at Think Packaging um, one super cool job for someone to have to be a cardboard engineer. Uh, but he helped us rethink the box and the way it opens and how yeah. it would ship and hold up. It's and really smart. The spritzer is better. Everything is, it's, the packaging is as premium as the ingredients. It's a very nice product. Thank so you. is the spritzer the bitters that you were talking about or that's separate? No, Danny, so a great cocktail engages all the senses. <laughs> we call Let me it. write that down. Hold on. <laughs> Great uh, cocktail must engage. Even the sixth sense. Yeah. The senses. Um, All right, cool, cool, so cool. The atomizer is um, is orange zest. So like you pour it over ice, and the cocktail is like fully made. Um, it's at eighty four point four um, proof, and then there's an orange zest atomizer that you spritz once over the top of the cocktail, made with blood orange, Valencia, and navel orange zest. Ooh. 
the finest Sounds good. planet Earth has to offer. The best oranges, yeah. the best of the best. So the fact that you're using these rare aged spirits, is that does that imply scarcity? Can you Does that hinder um, scalability? Um, I think for the gold fashion, our plan is for it always to be limited. Mm-hmm. So just a limited annual release, um, and we'll continue to uh, elevate or tweak the spirits base blend as you know that's kind of the vehicle for us to tell a different story each year it might not always be whiskey it might not always be a blend um you know we'll continue to kind of like play with that um piece of the cocktail and so i'm not sure what we're going to do next year we used all our good whiskey mm-hmm. we're we've got some feelers out there um but i think we're looking for you know a unique very high quality spirit that we can fold into it to you know make another 3000 bottles cool so was the first the first release was 1000 the second was 3000 3, no, the first was 3 oh they're okay and yeah. then he said the second he doubled down but he didn't tell us yet the, this would double down on the ingredients and quality got it the, how how big were you 3000 bottles why didn't you so triple you... down triple down <laughs> <laughs> might have tripled down <laughs> Oh my god! I tripled down by coming on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, what's next? What's what are you working on? I mean, wait, that we you also have never really talked about kind of like the musical side of your life, which is a pretty significant piece. Yeah. Um, yep. Music is important, and I think it can tie it all together. The you know, so I moved to Chicago to play music when I was twenty or twenty-one. Um, hence the valet job, uh, and continue to work and play and, and write, you know, up until today. Um, for the last five years here, I was running a recording studio right down Armitage Avenue um, called Strange Magic. And, you know, now that we have moved, um, I'm working on building out a space in Raleigh. But I think what originally drew me to bartending and cocktails was that I saw a lot of parallels between working on music and like that um, particular shade of the creative process and with making a cocktail. And, you know, you're still like conceptualizing thing, trying to tell a story. You're still sharing it with someone else. Um, And then like practically like when you're like mixing audio or thinking about how certain frequencies work together, it's a lot like how you think about different ingredients in a cocktail and how they'll play together. So different mediums, but I feel like you're kind of exercising the same um, muscles, if you yeah. will. That's very similar to what Dan Abel from Pilot Project said. He was was in the music industry and kind of saw the similarities between the creative process of composing a song and creating a beer. Yep. Yeah. I mean, but you've composed music for like ballet companies and yeah. all sorts of crazy stuff, right? Done a, a, a lot of work for... Hubbard Street dance over the years, working with a really talented choreographer named Robin Williams from Chicago. Um, I've also done stuff with a lot of like fun, noisy rock bands and all things in between. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really discriminate when it comes to music. If like, if I like it, I'm, I'm into it and you know, it kind of comes and goes in waves as far as like what those interests are. But I'm learning now that whether it's like cocktails or like making uh, a liqueur or a product or stilling something or working on music, like if something 
hits that spot for me where like I am like engaged with it. Um, I just like, I try to zero in on it and focus on it, you know? So what if it's like, if I hear a song and like, oh, something about this song is like giving me that like feeling, I'll listen to it a a thousand times. Um, And same thing, like if, you know, I don't think about making products a lot, but like when something like gets in there, like for a period of time, it kind of becomes like all consuming. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, well. It's the lightning round? Yeah. Essentially, it's a big deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. So yeah, take we're a gonna, sip of coffee. We're gonna triple down. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard of other people doubling down, but I think we're gonna triple. We're down. cranking it to eleven. Yeah. Uh, what's your death row meal? Death row meal. Joe's Pizza, in New York City. Great sliced. A couple locations like the one in Williamsburg. I always try to stay at the Pod Hotel. Cheap hotel, affordable. Williamsburg, right by the train. Two blocks from Joe's. Wow. Now, mm. is Joe, Joe, there are like a ton of Joe's, but there's only like two of the right Joe's. Is that, am I thinking of the right? Every thing? time I, it's like, this one's always the right one. Yeah. I don't know if it's like the OG, but. <laughs> what kind of pizza you got? I always get the Supreme. Yeah. So like a sausage, bell pepper, onion, mushroom scenario. Yep. And I eat it and then I go right to the hotel and go to sleep and then I wake up and I regret it every time. <laughs> but then every night when I'm going back to the hotel, I'm like, gotta do it. Like. Are you sensitive to like dairy or gluten or anything? I, no, no, but I think I'm sensitive to eating two slices of pizza after having a bunch of cocktails and then laying down <laughs> for nine hours without it, like, and just letting it sit there. <laughs> That's I'm sensitive to not digesting food. Yeah. <laughs> All Pretty right. Good. Uh, what is your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Taqueria, Taqueria Nuevo Jalisco. It's just west of here. You mm-hmm. got you got a crossover Pulaski. You're in Hermosa. It's right. on the left hand side. There's two taco spots. You don't go to the first one. Don't go to the first one. You go to the second one, and that's Nuevo Jalisco. What 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 street is it on? Armitage. Armitage. You said. Armitage and what? Just oh, just west of Pulaski. Yeah. Okay. It's the second. What, what's your order? <sighs> Barbacoa. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so it's right by your place. Yeah. So that's your spot. Okay. So the barbacoa taco. Yeah. At, uh, it's lit. That's easy. Okay. To, to possibly check out. Yeah, it's pretty close to here. <laughs> All right. Quite close. What is your favorite fast food? Hmm. I've been trying to eat more, a little more fast food lately. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, one, I've been traveling a little bit for work. And I feel like I can never do it with in good conscience with my child or wife. Mm-hmm. Um, although she probably low key wants to as well. But um, you guys are both doing secret eating. Yeah. Does Shake Shack count? Yeah, that's yeah, a little course. fast casual. I know. Yeah. yeah. Someone else said Shake Shack. Tim probably. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> mine, mine is Culver's. <laughs> I can't. I can't stress that enough. Have you had a Culver's burger? Yeah, I've had a butter burger. Okay. Yeah. Now they have the limited edition. With like a cheese curd pat. Yeah, I saw that. The curd. I don't have the curd burger. Yeah. 
That'll be a good thing to eat right before you lay down for nine hours. <laughs> Taco Bell's pretty good, Two too. Two of them. Yeah. Taco Bell is pretty good. What's your order at Taco Bell? Um, everybody's order, cheesy gordita crunch. Yeah. Do they have... I don't know why they... They have the other stuff. Other <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it should just be a cheesy or yeah. drive through. It used to be a secret menu item, which I think mm. was brilliant. Oh, for years. It's the only gordita that remains. Is it? It's of the cheesy gordita variety. Yeah, yeah you can't get a normal one. I mean, maybe if you, you got to use the cheese to hold the thing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, I think it was. It had to have been derived from the double decker. Same theory. What's the double decker? Two tacos. It's a soft. It's a soft shell. A layer of beans and then a hard shell taco. Yeah, get rid of those beans. Put yeah. that cheese in there. <laughs> I agree. All right. What is the best cocktail city, in your opinion? Mm. It's not Raleigh. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Raleigh is great for a lot of things. Um, cocktail scene is... What's the best thing in Raleigh? The best thing? Um or what does the what weather. does Raleigh do best? Yeah. Um, food is pretty great. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of good like barbecue. A lot of chefs like really pushing it, but the the liquor laws there are so like arcane. It's really hard for people to get new spirits um, or modifiers, and I think it kind of like stifles. It's all state control. And it's all state control. And there's very talented bartenders, and there's a couple of great programs, but I feel like if they would let more people in the door, it would be. Is Apolog there yet, or what? We've sold one case. But uh, it's there. I mean, you can get it. Yeah. Yeah, we had to get it, like, switched on and, like, at the state level. And, yeah, that's a... Wow. Wait, but you're... Are you from Raleigh or you're from... I'm from Raleigh. Okay, got yeah. it. Um, wait, sorry, what was the question? Well, what yeah. Best cocktail best city? Best cocktail city. Yeah. I mean, Chicago? Yeah. Probably. Uh, like, New York is cool. But I don't know. I feel like Chicago is kind of, like, took the cocktail thing and has just been doing it now for so long also a little different post pandemic yeah um now i feel like most cocktail scenes are uh coming back mm-hmm. in that for me what i liked about it in when i was younger was that it was very personality driven you know i would go to a bar i would like if you could get a drink from danny at the bar you were having like a, you know, that was like a real special experience. Or if you could go, you know, if you could find Toby behind the stick or Stephen Cole, like all these yeah, people. Maddie, Paul, yeah. um, you know, yeah, it's funny. Robbie was actually there for the, uh, <laughs> the first, the worst night of Scoffall's existence. What was uh, that? Our like soft opening and Robbie sat like directly in front of me <laughs> and I was the only operational cocktail well. And Robbie just saw me go down so hard for like, hours it felt like the worst you know three hours of my life uh just getting full on assaulted basically it was a soft opening we invited like 30 people and then like urban daddy leaked it to the to the public so we were planning to do 30 people uh 30 covers and it ended up being like just wall-to-wall packed i don't even think we had like a door person and uh robbie got to bear witness it was pretty cool what went wrong uh, just probably everything. Yeah, just, every, I mean, just, just the sheer volume, volume, volume of drinks. Of it, yeah. yeah. Um, we had created like what, we, you know, we've called the, like a tomahawk system where we have eight cocktails and four cocktails go in each of the two wells. Sorry, which tomahawk is, system? Yeah, that's what we call it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess. Because uh, like, yeah, you have two, you yeah. throw a tomahawk yeah. with each I guess hand. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know why we ended up calling it that. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, so each, well, I also don't know if it's like PC to say that, but, uh, anywho, yeah, just two different wells, uh, with the menu split in half just to like help with, uh, volume. So you can like double up on multiple drinks, triple up, whatever. And since I was the only operational well that night, it was like everything was coming through me and I could not handle the volume. And, uh, it was just like a tidal wave crashing on you the whole night mm -hmm. is what it felt like. Uh, the one thing I don't miss about bartending are like the dreams, the bartending yeah. dreams where you oh, can't no. finish the cocktail yeah. no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Um, is it a missing ingredient or what's the, you just the keep, there's team? always an impediment. Like you yeah. go to get the thing and the thing's not there. Then you have to go downstairs to get the right ice. But like, it, there's always like one more step. You can never finish yeah, the drink. It never goes. This is a concept. It's a very common dream. It I think. Is, yeah. yeah. This is a com concept that I pitched to this American life and never heard back from is like <laughs> recurring dreams that a lot of people share like obviously there's like the school one where it's the end of the semester and you can't yeah. like find your classroom or whatever or there's like a class you Similar, forgot about. Yeah. but i think yeah it's interesting there's one specific to bartenders it is it's exactly it's like you get the tin and you pour the first thing and then you have to like but the second thing's not there then you go to like get the second thing but it's like infinite there's yeah. always well i know ira glass is listening so <laughs> yeah exactly please reach out to the show joinerspod at gmail.com let's get this going yeah all right next question here what is your favorite spirit can you could you even pick a favorite spirit mm. i guess i feel like if i was gonna other than aquavit yeah other than aquavit <laughs> geneva no. yeah. danny what is geneva <laughs> so good yeah uh I don't know, like probably mezcal. I'm sure yeah. everyone says that, but I feel like these days, if I'm gonna drink something, I, that's, I like it. It gets me a little fired up. Feels healthy for some reason. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, that, that leads me to another question. When you sit down at a cocktail bar and you're presented with the menu. What, how are you looking at that? Through what lens? Like, yeah, I'm looking for the Apolog cocktail first. Yeah. Because <laughs> I've definitely got to order that yeah. and get that photo, photo for Instagram. <laughs> uh, and then the, my, the kind of the real quick math I do is like, I'm, all right, refreshing or spirit forward. And then do I want something that's like low ABV or full strength? Um, and depending on the day and how it's been and the week. You know, that will decide whether it's going to be uh, full strength stirred or full strength refreshing. Or navy strength. Yeah. Do you gravitate more toward like a, an agave based cocktail? No. On a menu? I do not. Okay. No, I think, oh yeah. On so a cocktail, menu, you just went by itself. Yeah. On a cocktail menu, I'm looking for interesting flavors to me, like ingredients that are evocative of something. You know, I really like looking at the verbiage people use. Or not the verbiage, but like, yeah, I guess the, the language people use to describe the cocktail. Like, yeah. And the way that the uh, ingredients are listed, the order. And I don't know, sometimes I'll read one and if, if there's like two or three things that like hit for me. If I see mint, mango, spicy, mm -hmm. I'm going to order it. Yeah. Did you say evocative or acavitive? <laughs> if I see acavit, I don't order it. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, actually Danny. How do you answer that question? What are you looking for? I mean, well, actually, no. You're just looking. You're looking for the wine list. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, if I'm at cocktail places, I drink cocktails. Yeah. I think you're just used to like what I drink at home, which is wine. Which is like wine, or if I'm like with other people who are into like mezcal or whiskey, I'll open something cool and we'll like drink it, sip it, talk, you know, hang. 
Um, but yeah, at a cocktail bar, I think it changes all the time. I mean, I guess my first love is like a, a refreshing gin drink probably. Um, but I think to Robbie's point, it depends on what the ingredients are. If I'm like, Oh, I've never seen these things together. Um, I might be more inclined to order it. Um, but it's funny. It's like, sometimes you order for comfort. Like I know what this is going to taste like. And sometimes you order for curiosity. Like I'm very curious what this will taste like. It sounds awful on paper, but I'll give it a chance. And you know, sometimes you can get pleasantly surprised. Um, real quick on the Akavi thing, I will drink Norden Akavi. Shout out Norden. Okay. Norden, boom. They're, they're a sponsor, so thank yeah. you. Are they? No, no, <laughs> not yet. Not uh, yet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but do you guys ever pair cocktails with your food like you would with wine? I, I am. An, I, it's tough. Like I don't really. I, I think cocktails don't necessarily pair super well with food. Um, yeah, I wouldn't assume so, but I. I think, and if you are, it's like lower ABV stuff. Um, I think cocktails can pair well with meals in terms of like what you have before a meal, what yeah. you might have after a meal, but like cocktail is nice with apps. Yeah. Cocktail could be nice with dessert or as dessert. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also trying to, you know, kind of watch the sugar. The sugar makes me a little crazy. So I feel like, you know, I'm having, if I have a cocktail, I'm having like one drink. And yeah. Yeah, that's like when I had that Garibaldi at Loyalist last week. You can really only do one of those. So yeah, Ellie, Ellie was like, yeah, it's pretty sweet. I what, loved it. Though. What's a Garibaldi? The Garibaldi is like, and... it's the whipped, you know, Campari orange juice sensation, uh, Instagram sensation. The Loyalist is called the Garibaldi Murcielago. It's, it's <laughs> well, they like, they clarified yeah, it and put name. it on a big rock, which is really cool. Um, it's very interesting. Well, since but. you guys are both dying to know how I look at a cocktail, <laughs> yeah, what do you do? And you keep you keep ragging at me to <laughs> yeah. tell you, uh, I go. I look for a savory cocktail first. Okay, my favorite drink that nobody remembers, Ivory other than my egg? sister, is the Old Ivory Egg at, from Billy Sunday, and it's like an heirloom tomato water. It's like it's almost like a clarified, um, like Bloody Mary. It's got uh, there's like celery, fish sauce, um, cucumber. There's all sorts of goofy things going on in there. It's very good. And, and the, no, it's, oh yeah, there, no, no, there's Kumel. <laughs> I know, yeah. There's a little oh, bit wow. of Kumel and uh, the base spirit is Bacanora. It's but crazy. You can, wild. You can sub it tequila in a pinch. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I go to Tim's I, and I, make him make this. I, I have it in my fridge. I make it at home. But I brought it up to Joe Briglio because he, he used to work there. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, cool. You blocked it out. Yeah. yeah. Blocked. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a pain in the ass yeah. to make. You gotta, it's a lot of straining. Um, but then I do look for a mezcal cocktail. And if so it's funny. not, if it doesn't have a spicy component, I'm going to order it. If it is spicy, I'm not going to order you're gonna it. You're going to stay away from the spice. Yeah. yeah. Heartburn? I, I like the spice in the food. I don't like the spice in the drink. Fair. And that's how I approach a cocktail menu. Yeah. It's good. I also another memory came to mind of Robbie being bearing witness to one of the firsts in my life, which is the first cocktail social. Robbie and Ubi and I stood over like a six foot table, just making cocktails bent over. That was fun. Yeah, yeah the table was a little short. Still, my back's still a little. Yeah, up. our backs are so messed up. Where was it? It was at Gallery Marchetti. It was the first Chicago cocktail social, so we had like a lot of bars under one roof making drinks. That was fun. That it was, was it. really fun for but... me. For me, that is like that is my golden era of the Chicago cocktail scene, and I'm yeah, sure like fun. dating myself. But that was like yeah, every you had all the like the 
the names like so-and-so from such and such so-and-so from such and such and then Danny brought them all together and had them hunch over. <laughs> hunch no, fast. I gave, no, I gave us the worst setup for sure. Because I was like, I'm always going to take the worst setup. But other this the event that I worked it. this year? Yeah, yeah. Tim yeah. worked it this year with me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Robbie was there Cut my the teeth one. behind the bar. I had a pre-batched thing that I just had to. It, uh, Danny also gave me the least delicious of the three cocktails. No, the least popular. <laughs> it was delicious. Well, I assume that's the same. <laughs> Six of one. Um, all right, uh, moving on here. He had Robbie, like a Vesper what, riff. What? Yeah, yeah. What was it? Uh, we won't get into it. Uh, what trivia category would you dominate? What did I wear? That's the question. If you ask me <laughs> what the day was, and and you're like, all right, that day that I came to the bar and you know set, I, I can probably tell you what I was wearing. Really? I'm Photographic just, memory? Just only about that. I think it's because huh. I used to be like really conscious about like wow. spacing out my outfits. You know what I mean? Like, so it's it's not what people wore; it's what you wore. So if I was like, "Hey, what'd you wear last? What'd you wear last night?" Last, I know you know that yeah, one. Yeah, last night, black jeans. I have I have no shirt. idea what you wore last night. What did I wear last night? Well, he doesn't necessarily know what you wore. No, I know, but I'm curious if if you were paying attention. I feel like you look. I dressed up for you. I feel like you were looking pretty nice. I was looking. You had cocktail attire. Cocktail attire. Cocktail attire. That was yeah. on the invite. You had cocktail attire. Yeah. That's wild. That's a kind of interesting trivia thing. So weird? that's what makes me saying that you used to go out frequently with Violet Hour guys. Yeah. In suits. Now we know it's bullshit. Yeah. Well, or Robbie's line. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Robbie, what do you attribute your success to? Um, th- three things. I don't know if there are three, but I'm going to pen it at three. Love it. One, probably like the the three. We'll call it three. One, very supportive parents when I was younger that just encouraged me to do whatever, but like really do it. Um, so like when I was a kid, I was like playing music. You want to play music? Cool. Go. This is everything you need to play music and we will support you. Um, and so didn't was there really, pressure then? Like we got you these instruments, you better practice. There, there or was it just like, here's your stuff. No, nah, there was a, it. there was a little bit of that mm-hmm. and I responded like adversely to it. And so yeah. then I like got into skateboarding and yeah, it had to be on your terms. Yep. Um, but in hindsight, I think, you know, probably, you know, very supportive parents, uh, in business, good partners, mm-hmm. like can't, I, I feel very fortunate to have been involved in the projects that I have been involved in, but none of them would have been successful without having like a good team around me that can like compliment and support, you know, the things that I can bring to the table. Um, having a good partner is like, you know, it's nice to have someone that you can try to impress. And it's also have, nice to have someone like hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and then three, I don't know. Sometimes I just get, you know, I think there's something you can do anything. All right. So I met one time we were met this guy that lived in a camper and I was like, Who's we? Me and some buddies that were going to like buy something from him. You were in full, <laughs> so you're in full suits. No, I was like, going to get I was saffron. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he was like this hippie dude that, you know, supposedly had had like acid that was left over from like the Grateful Dead. It had like a name. I don't know. He kept it in a jar. I'm sure it was bullshit. <laughs> but um, for some reason, he had this like shamanesque quality to him. And, uh, in hindsight, it like really wasn't that like profound, but he was like, I remember we were talking to him. He's like, you know, 
you're not going to lay on your deathbed and say, I should have worked more, mm-hmm. which is like music to, uh, uh, like an 18 year old's yeah. ears. <laughs> um, and, uh, so long with, I, I try to just have fun and like, you know, I feel like incredibly fortunate to be able to follow like these like little whims and ideas. And I know that that's like a really unique position to be in, but yeah, if I get like a notion, I just push on it and yeah, hope for the best. That's good advice. If you, if you only get one shot at things, why not make it enjoyable or follow an interest yeah. with the right partners and supportive parents? There you go. Very nice. All right. And last question here. What is something that bars or restaurants do that might annoy you? Man. Um, it used to be... Uh, well, I, I used to like have a hard time going out in Chicago because like I knew everybody and like sometimes you just want to go out and like, yeah. you know, sink into the bar, have a drink, you mm-hmm. know, be anonymous. Yeah. And so that used to annoy me. Um, and now no one knows me <laughs> and, like, and I sit down at the bar and I'm like, what, you know, step it up. Where's the yeah. love? Yeah. And it's not there. <laughs> and so like, yeah, I, I think really like the best thing people can do is they just, I feel like the genuine hospitality, the actually like talking to someone and looking them in the eye. And I don't need like the whole song and dance. You just say like, hello, hello, mm-hmm. I'm here. I'm like an easy ass customer. Uh, and so, I don't know. Shit doesn't annoy me though. I just like, okay, cool. Like this person is 22 and has never worked in a place or this person is 42 and has been here for 20 years and maybe they have, a chip on their shoulder mm. or not. Yeah. I don't know. Or just having a weird day. Nothing annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing annoys. You can't, I can't, you know, we don't have time to get annoyed. Well, don't yeah. test me. I'll find something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up the gratuity round. Robbie, yeah. thanks so much for joining us today. Cool. Thanks for being here. Thanks y'all. Pleasure. And that concludes our conversation with Robbie Haynes, the third of Apologue Liqueurs. Thanks for listening. And remember to check us out on Instagram at joinerspod is the handle. And we post throwback photos of all of our guests, as well as specially designed cocktails for each guest that Danny comes up with. This episode was produced by Matt Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. We'll see you next week. <laughs>